Here we go. Stand up. Let's read the word of the Lord. We got we to gotta press fast, fast forward here. So come on, let's read the word of the Lord. Oh, do I have a word for you? The devil is a lie. I am taking every minute that is allotted to me for the glory of God. The devil, you and you, I am not short-circuiting the word. We're going to short-circuit something else, but not a word. Here we go. Come on. Uh, look at your row until we read in my row. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. Look at the other person on the other side and say, you better read. If you're online, we read. Okay, we read. Here we go, fam. Let's go. Everybody read it out loud with me. Come to me, all who are and heavy, and I will give you. Here's the beauty. God says, um, this is not reserved for the few. He says, anybody that wants to come, it's an invitation to all. Everybody can come. If you're a high school dropout, you can come. If you are, whatever you do, whether it's high up in the corporate boardroom or all the way down in prison, he says, all of you are welcome. That's good news, by the way. Because he could have said, only the Hispanics are welcome. He could have said, only the Indians are welcome. He could have said, only blacks are welcome. He could have said, only whites are welcome. But he said, anybody that want to come, you can come. And what he's about to give you is going to relieve some burden from you. So he's trying to bless you by his invitation. He says, everybody, you qualify, you can come. Now he goes on. He says, to all who are weary, that means internally you're going through something. That means internally you're stressed out. That means internally you're tore up. That means internally you're depressed, you're anxious, you're worried. It, is, it has reached to your soul level and you are, you are burnt out, frustrated, tired every day and want to throw in the towel. He says, if that's you, I came to give you some good news. He continues. He doesn't say just internally. He goes to externally. If you're internally weary, it will bleed into your external. You're going to look crazy. Folk going to look at you, I know you wiped out. Folk going to look at you, I know you tired. Folk going to look at you, I know you burnt out. Folk going to look at you, I know you anxious, worried, and want to throw in the towel. They're going to just see it over your face. He says to all of you, I give you an invitation. Come to me, those who are miserable. Come to me, those who don't want to continue life. Come to me. If you have lived your whole life hurried and busy in the suburbs of America, you have, you have compared yourself to everybody, and you have been found the one thing. I don't have what they have. I want some more of what they have. If that's you, he says, come to me, because I'm going to show you life. Watch the text. He says, I will give you, I will give you, He's not talking about a vacation. He's talking about soul rest. Something on the inside of you that when he gives you rest, you will be at peace and the peace of God will rule over your life. Amen. That's what he's talking to. He's inviting you to come. And he's saying the world's going to offer stuff that's going to make you weary and heavy laden. He's saying you follow all that corporate America does and you follow all that Western civilization does and you will become weary because it's an independent rat race to see who becomes the first and who becomes the best and who is the happiest as if God cares about your happiness. He cares more about you looking like Jesus than he cares about your happiness. Get it out of your, out of your brain. That's why you don't make decisions to make you happy. 
you make decisions that allow you to follow Jesus. You can't even say amen to that, but it's the truth. If he was into happiness, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus wasn't happy on the cross. Next verse. They can't handle that one. Let's see if another one would be better. Take my yoke, say it with me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will. You will what? Two more times. Don't say rest. You will. Last time. You will. That means he's hidden it from people who don't know Jesus. The reason you need to be excited about knowing Jesus is because there's something the world can't even fathom or they're not even, it's not even available to them until they know Jesus. And he's saying, you will, if you know me, you will find this thing called rest because it's secret and it's hidden from some people and they can't get it except you. Then what in the world are you doing living like them when you can find the rest God has for you? Wish I had a witness in this place. Here's what he says. Watch this. He says, take my yoke. That is my way. The, the way I go about life. He says to his disciples, disciples, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the scribes. He says to you, one community church. He says to you, don't be like the culture. I didn't call you to live like the culture. I call you to live in it, but not be of it. I call you to be a light in the midst of the darkness. Do not allow the darkness to infect you. Your light should dispel their darkness. He says, and learn from me. Everybody say this word, and... Learn from me. Here's why. What makes you frustrated? What makes you weary? What makes you heavy laden? Two things. The opposite of these two words. So he says, because I'm gentle, which means I'm not aggressive and I'm not driven by anger and I don't have to control everybody. So they do what I say. He says, I'm gentle. I'm the opposite of you. What frustrates you is two words, aggression and arrogance. And he says, I'm the opposite of what the world has to offer. The world always wants to be first. I tell you, you should be last. The world wants to be a star. I say you ought to be a servant. The exact opposite of what the world purports, Jesus says, if you follow my way, you will find rest. But you still want to follow the culture, which is why you want to be a star. No wonder you got to control everything so you look like this, walking. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Because you're weighted down with everything the world has to offer. Say it, Pastor. Say it, say it. Here's what he says. And you will find rest for your they can't handle no more. Last verse. You can only handle one more. That's all they can handle. Let's go to the last one. You ready? Next verse. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about it for a moment. Say it with me again two more times. For my yoke is easy and my burden, God says, is light. Huh. Last time, last time. He, he, he's saying at the conclusion of it all, what I just told you, he says, Here's what you need to know. Here's the bottom line. Say it with me now. My yoke is easy. And my burden is Here's what that means. That means, that means, that means, if whatever is on you is heavy, and if whatever is on you is not easy, then it's not of God. You putting on something God never been for you to have on. Say it! 
Let me say it again. Let me say it again. <laughs> Let me say it again. In other words, he's saying, if you are wearing something that is stressing you out, if you are wearing something that's burdensome, it's because you decided to follow the way of the culture and reject the way of God, which means that is not his will for you, but you still have it on because you followed the culture, not Christ. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. My God, my God, my God, you should have stayed home today. You really should have. You should have stayed home, turned the TV off, and watched a movie. That's what you should have done. But since you're in church, you're going to get exposed to the word of God. Woo! All right, Father, we need your help. Remove me so that you can be exalted. Remove me so that your word can be implanted in every heart that's under the sound of my voice. In the name and by the blood of Jesus Christ right now, remove every distraction so your word can go forth and bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, in our church today, in our culture today, there are two types of Christians. Don't you ever forget this. And you fit in one of these categories. And before you fit, you say you fit in the right one, ask somebody who know you. Christians are either having Jesus follow behind them so Jesus is following them, or they're following Jesus. Those are your two options. What we have in our culture today is a group of people that have decided that they want to live their life, and they will put Jesus on a leash. And when they need him, they will consult him. When they need him, they'll pull him up closer and say, hey, Jesus, I got a problem here. You better fix this. And as soon as he fixes it, then they release him again. Because they're done with him for now. They can handle the rest. Or, secondly, you have a group of believers that are Christians, that are the followers of Jesus Christ. They're learners, as the text said, learners of Jesus. So you either have Jesus following you, or you're following Jesus. Let me give you some statistical information from the Pew Research Group that will help you. In 2001, about 76% of Americans would call themselves Christians, which means they would, they would loosely say they align with what Jesus Christ thought. Today, that's dropped to 65%. Only 65% of Christians are people that say in America that says, I align with the thinking and the thoughts of Jesus Christ. No, let me tell you what that Christian means when I say that. All that means is that, they, that they've been to church, you know, over the last eight weeks, they've probably been once. That's all that means. Nothing else. How can you have, in 2001, 70 plus percent of Christians and, the, and America still as jacked as it is? That's because our Christianity is only conducive to our political affiliation. Y'all get quiet, huh? That's because our Christianity is only affiliated and we only need him when we need something. Apart from that, we're going to live our own lives and do our own thing and not follow the precepts and the teachings of God. And we're simply going to allow God to come in when we need him. Let me give you another number. 
What percentage of those uh, 76 or 65 percent, what percentage of those believe that they are fully devoted followers, following the way of Jesus, following the teachings of Jesus, wanting to become like Jesus on a daily basis? You know what that number is? Eight percent. I mean, you have Christians all over this church and churches all over that simply use God to do good. But when it comes to, I will take up my cross daily and follow Jesus, we say, uh-uh, that's too inconvenient for me. I don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't want, to, I don't want to be the last. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be the servant of all. I want to be the first. I want to be the first in my neighborhood. I want to be the first in my community. I want to be the first in my, in my group that I'm in. I want to be first in my group, in my Facebook group with our community. And I want them to see me first. Well, that's not the way of Christ. But because you've bought into the whole culture, no wonder first matters to you so much. Because who's been discipling you is not Jesus, but your culture. Huh. So how do we get here? How do we get to this situation that we currently find ourselves in? That's the big question on the floor. Why is it that so many Christians, people who call themselves Christians, are having Jesus follow them instead of they follow Jesus? Come, take your notes. Let's go. Let's see if we can get to work now. Here, here's what's happening in the background of your life, and you don't even know it. This, these are the issues that are ordering your steps. These are the issues that are, that are influencing you without you even knowing it. Number one, you can fill it out as we go. We now live in a post-Christian culture. What does that mean? Before, in the 40s, 50s, it was a Christian culture where it was popular to talk about Jesus. That don't mean they lived for him. It just means Jesus was at the center of thought. And it influenced us. And you talk about Jesus everywhere, and it was fine. I dare you to do that at your company today. I dare you to go talk about, yeah, Jesus is the reason for the season. None of us, whoa, 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 you can't say that. There are too many other people that believe all these other things. So you don't have to talk about Jesus. Just keep him to the side. Lock him in your closet and stay there. Because we're no longer uh, a Christian country. The question should be asked, were we ever a Christian country? That's a debate for another time. However, the second thought is, not only are we a post-Christian culture, but now we have a modern society that believes that we don't need God. We're in a season of enlightenment where all we need is to train our minds and we can do anything God could do. It sounds like Genesis chapter 11 to me, where God then separated them and separated their languages because they believed the hype about themselves that they didn't need a God. So now we live in a post, a, 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 a modern society where everything we can find at our fingertips, and all you need to do is press a microwave button, voila, it's there. All you need to do is say, hey, Amazon Prime, I need it by 4.30 today, and voila, it's at your house. And all you need to do is say, hey, Uber, come pick me up and take me anywhere, and you can go, and you can do everything. And you think that you can bring that to Christianity, and all you have to say is, God, I want to be godly, and you're going to be godly today. I'm trying to help you understand what's influencing you. So now all you think you have to do is just listen to your favorite teacher or your favorite communicator or your favorite entrepreneur or your favorite business guy. And you want to listen to whoever there is out there that can help you better yourself. And you're not doing the, using it through the Bible. You're doing it through some popular self-help $3 billion industry. And you don't even realize how much the culture has influenced you. I ain't done with you. Come on. 
I don't have time to linger today. Number three, we're a byproduct of divorce. 65% of our culture, 65% have been influenced by divorce. Let me tell you what I mean. This, is, this, this has ravaged the whole nation, and you don't even realize it. That means now we're not in relationships for the long haul. That means all any relationship we're in, we're trying to protect ourselves before we even get started. Because when God says you ought to put the other person above you, you say, No, I know where that leads. I know where it led my mama. I know where it led my daddy. I know where it's led me. So I'm not trusting anybody anymore. So now you have a relationship and you form relationships based on what's in it for me and how do I protect myself so if you leave me, I'm still good. And you don't even realize that it's affected every one of our relationships. And if it hasn't affected you, it's affected the person you're talking to. So it's ravaged our country, but nobody seems to realize how devastating this thing is. And yet still, we still want to be discipled by our culture instead of discipled by Christ. And what's, don't miss the one I'm about to talk about. Number four. Woo! We're a byproduct of the mega church, of which this would be one of them. Let's talk about what mega churches do. You've got to be very careful when you have a church and you only care about people getting saved and baptized. Nothing wrong with those, and those are amazing. And you, ought, you want people to get saved, and you want people to get baptized. But what would happen if you have a baby, and the baby comes into this world, and you leave the baby alone? The baby dies because it's not being nourished. It's not being trained. Therefore, what we should be doing, which is why in this church, the, the engine room of the church is discipleship. That's why anybody that wants to be disciples should be able to get disciples in their church. Why? Because if you're not teaching them the way of Jesus Christ, then you're leaving a baby to be a part of the 65% that just says, I go to church when it's convenient, but really, Jesus is following me, and when I pull him up, I'm good, but when I don't need him, I leave him right where he is. That's why you have so many people that believe they're, they're Christians. That all they have is insurance to go to heaven, but they don't know how to follow Jesus. And that's a big part of rise of the mega church that just wants people to get saved, but have nobody disciple them all the way through. That's why if the only thing you do is come to church on Sunday and you're not in a community group and you're not being discipled and you're not serving effectively, then what you're saying is, I only care about me and Jesus on my terms. That's the danger. No wonder the culture and you look just alike. So let me show you what it looks like. Come on up here, fellas. Let me show you what it really, really looks like in your everyday walk with God. This is what it looks like. It looks like this. It looks like you in your own relationship with God. There you go, bud. In your own relationship with God, this is what it looks like. You've got, you've got the culture over here, and the culture is working you, and you're trying to live for Jesus. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to live for Jesus, and you got the culture working you, and you're trying to say, all to Jesus, I surrender, and, and you're trying to work it by yourself, and the culture keeps pulling you toward it because you're doing nothing else. You're doing nothing. And the culture is winning, and you're looking more like the culture, and more like the culture, and more like the culture, until, listen, until you find a radical Christian that's trying to do it for the glory of God, and you now join the culture, mm, and now you say to the Christian, it don't take all that. 
It don't take all that. It don't take all that. It don't take all that. And you don't even realize that you have become a person who is just like the culture and antithetical to the believer in Jesus Christ. My God, my God, my God. And you applaud it when you speak against somebody who's trying to be radical for Jesus Christ. And you don't even realize you're a part of the 70 plus percent. And you're not a part of the 8%. But you come to church every day thinking coming to church makes you a part of the 8%. Can I get a witness now? You're good. You're good. I'm going to bring that rope back. Hold on. I said, can I get a witness and the 8% clap? The rest of them didn't clap. Lord have mercy. Only the 8 Thank you, 8%. <laughs> Woo! Anyways, all right, come on. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Okay, come on, come on, come on. So now I want to talk about, listen, this is so huge. Now I want to talk about how spiritual formation happens. How do you look more like Jesus? How does that happen? What are the ingredients for it? Please take some notes. If not for yourself, just take it for your kids or your grandkids. If you're so selfish, you, I know it all already. I don't need nothing. I'm so mature. <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm so mature. I just, you know, I just walk with God every day. I sin not. I never sinned. Then go home. Jesus. Just go. Anyways, um, let's talk about the unintentional spiritual formation. Here's what happens to all of us, all of us, if we do nothing. This is what happens to us. Here we go quickly. <clears throat> There's stories in our culture that we believe. There's stories in our culture. Our culture has stories that it, that it hails as significant, and we naturally believe them. And so you've got to be careful in your culture. What are the stories you believe in? The culture will, will hail some things as critical. The culture will demand that you, be, that you be independent. You don't need nobody. You can do it all on your own. The Bible and the way of Jesus will say something completely different. The way of Jesus will say, no, no, no. You're completely dependent on the spirit of living God. The Bible will say something completely different. It will say that you, are, that you desperately need community to shape who you are. That's what the Bible says. But a culture says something different. So got, that's why the culture you grew up in matters. If you grew up in Asia, it'll, it'll look differently. If you grew up in, in, in Western civilization, it will look different. If you grew up in India, it would look different. If you grew up, wherever you grew up, it'll look different. Because the cultural norms drive what you believe. Which is why you have to know what the Word of God says so you know what you should value. Last week we talked about it. What you value, you give attention to. What you give attention to, you create an appetite. What you create an appetite for grows. But then you have some relationships. And the people closest to you determine the quality and the direction of your life. Some of us just randomly say, okay, yeah, I'll hang with these guys. I'll hang with these girls. They have nothing nor want nothing to do with Jesus. And you want them in your inner circle. How can you be formed into the image of Christ when you have people around you that don't want to have nothing to do with Jesus, but you want them to be your best, most best friend and most influential person in your life? That's ridiculous to me, but so many of us have that. And then lastly, you have habits that you have formed from birth through your historical experiences, through your family of origin, and you have these habits, which is why parents be careful because whatever you do, your kids are going to take it to two levels. Whatever your habit is, they're watching you, and they're going to go another level or two above where you are. 
That's why this becomes so important. So now the environment and the culture is influencing the stories we believe, the relationships we have, and the habits we get formed. And now God is asking you to live in the middle of that. If you do nothing, then you will be conformed to the culture. Flip it. Let's go to the next, the next side of your notes, and let's go to the other one. What does it look like intentionally? This is why you need the Word of God. This is why the Word of God plays such a critical role in your life. And there's a time when it shouldn't just be the pastor's word or whoever you like to listen to his word. There are times when it needs to be your, your time with God unhurried alone. We've talked about that before. And so now you go from there to community. Not relationships, community. People you're doing life with. Listen, family. People you do. What does that mean? <clears throat> people who follow the way of Jesus. People who want to follow the teachings and the thoughts of Jesus Christ. People who want to bring all of life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Those are the men and women you run with. And if you're not running with them, then go find some that you run with. But they should be able to expose your foolishness, and they should be able to then encourage you in that. That's their job. They ought to expose. Okay, okay. Peter. Angry, love to talk, love to yap. You know when he finds it out? When he's in community with these disciples and when he wants to kill that soldier. And Jesus has to say, hey, calm down, man. Calm down. What do they do? They expose him. Control yourself. Number two, they encourage him. It's going to be all right. That's what community does. But when you have nobody that you can share your life with, that will love you in spite of you, now you're an accident waiting to happen because you're going to share it with somebody you have no business sharing it with. And before you know it, they will drift you away from God and towards their vices that they go to to deal with the stress and the pains of life. But then where I'm trying to get to is the fact that the Holy Spirit is driving everything. The Holy Spirit is driving the teaching and bringing the teaching to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit is guiding the community and telling you what's Christ-like in the midst of it. But what's the third one? This is where our whole series has been. But then there's a thing called practice. 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 How do, you, how do you live in the culture and not be of the culture? But practice. Why is it that every time the weight comes down on Jesus and the crowds want to see more of Jesus, he slips away? Because Jesus knows, I need to be with the Father. So that my mind and my purpose gets renewed and I need to shut everything out so that I can hear from the Father so that I continue to do what he wants me to do. Then why do you think if Jesus needs time away regularly, daily, why do you think you can do it without him? What do you think you can do? Let me show you what it looks like. Come on back up here, fellas. Let me show you what it looks like. It looks like this. The culture is pulling you and pulling you away from God and your desire should be to spend some time, practice. What does practice mean? Silence, solitude, Sabbath, slowing down, worship, simplicity, frugality, all of those. They are simply disciplines that you practice on a daily rhythm so that you say no to the culture and yes to the way of God. That's what this is. So, here's what you should be doing. So the culture is pulling on you. Pulling on you. And if you do nothing, they're going to be influencing you. But then every now and again, every, on a daily rhythm, you say, okay, God, hold on, God. I need you in this one. So now you go down on your knees. 
and you say, God, I need some time alone with you because I can't take this culture by myself. So I need to shut the culture out. I need to shut the noise out. I need to shut everybody else out. I need to get around your word. And I need to say, God, I just want to be silent so you can speak to my soul so that I can hear the things that I love from the culture that I should not love. I can repent of those and the longings and the love and the affections that you want me to have for your kingdom. That's what I want. And the more you do that, then the more one person from the culture lets go. And the more you do that, the more strength you get so that now you can pull away from the culture and now you can spend more and more time with God and their influence wanes. There are no shortcuts, none, to practice. You either practice or you don't. And if you don't, then the culture continues to influence you And without you knowing it, you keep looking like that. Let me remind you. If you want your kids to be one of the best pianists in the world, guess what they have to do? Practice. Every single day. Between three and four, you're practicing. I don't feel like it. Irrelevant. You're practicing. I don't get nothing from it. Irrelevant. You're practicing. My belly is hurting today. Okay. You're practicing. Whatever the excuse you come up with, you pray. If you want to run a marathon and you're trying to train for a marathon, you don't try harder. You train to run the marathon. You practice. So this week, you're going to run a mile. Next week, you're going to try and add a half mile to it. The following month, you're going to run five miles. The following month, you're going to run 10. The following six months later, you're going to run 20. Uh, 13 months later, you're going to run 26. Listen, listen. Here's all you've done. You practice. When nobody else was looking, when there was no fanfare cheerleaders, you were putting in the work. And before you know it, you have trained yourself in godliness. Ladies and gentlemen, in your little microwave, Amazon Prime, Uber Eats environment, there is nothing that can shortcut Jesus Christ and time alone with him nothing. So I don't care what anybody else tells you. You don't just come to church and all of a sudden you're godly. It's not how you do it. That's not how the saints of old did it. You love this little new world. Oh yeah, let me just listen to six churches on today and let me listen to four on Saturday, five on Sunday, eight on Monday, and that will make me... No, no. All that do is give you more information for you to become more Pharisaic. All you're doing is becoming more Pharisee with more word and less practice. Preach, pastor! You have to know how to walk with God. You have to know how to silence the noise. So you can hear. Some of you don't even like. No, every time you hear, yeah, I'm gonna spend time with you. Let me put on some and put on some praise music. Hey, hey. No, 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 no. You can't get to the soul level desires with music on. You got to be able to listen to yourself. Some of you don't even like yourself enough to listen to yourself. You can't even listen because oh, I don't want to think about that. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, oh, oh, oh. Let me the music We fall down. That's my favorite song, you know. We fall down. That's what you want to listen to all the time. Only way you get there is with practice. Say it with me three times. Practice. Two more times. Practice. Last time. What does practice mean? It's a spiritual discipline. Here's what you're doing with a discipline. You're starving the longings of the culture 
and you're feeding and you're learning new loves, new longings, new affections for Christ and his way. That's what we're trying to do. No shortcuts. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, no shortcuts. If you don't do it, listen, listen, listen. If you don't do it, Christ is following you. If you do do it, then you're trying to follow Christ. Okay, let me, let me go. go. Go to the other side of the paper again, left-hand side of the center page, and go to the bottom of it, and let's see if we can land this plane. Uh, we're almost ready to land. Here we go. Now, listen, I'm going to teach you one concept today, that if you learn this concept, you'll find out what most Christians live for. One concept. Look at the screen. It's in your notes. Here we go. Here are three different concepts. You either Jesus is following you. Christian is mentioned three times in the Bible. Christians, the word Christian, it was really used never of Christians. It was used not by Christians, but people who didn't like Christians. And they were called, you, you're just a little people following Jesus. That's all you are. The word that's used for the believer is disciple, who's a learner, who's one who wants to follow the teachings and the precepts of Christ. That's why that's mentioned 261 times in the Bible. What, what, what are you supposed to do? What does life look like for the believer? Your goal is to be with him, to become like him, and then to do what Jesus did. That's your goal. We want to follow him. We're trying to learn from him because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. So you want to be like him. Let me tell you what we have, what we have grown used to and now adapt as a lifestyle. Here's the word. Look in your notes. You'll see it. It's called, it's called a moralistic therapeutic deist. That's what we have become. People who believe in moralism, people who believe in, in therapy, and people who believe in a deist. Come on, let's do it. Here are the five things. This is so huge because they all influence you. Listen to me, please. I don't care if you don't hear anything else. Listen to this. Because this is how most Christians live. And they really, I don't even know if they're Christians, if this is what you believe. Follow this now. Number one. We believe that God exists, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over life on earth. All he does is watches over us. He never intercedes. He never, he never answers directly your prayer. He only intercedes over it. Number one. Number two. Here it is. Two, three, and four, we live. God wants people to be good, nice, fair to each other as taught in the Bible. Here we go. And most other world religions. All he wants you to do is be good. Oh, yeah, just be suave in the boardroom. Just, just be nice. And they're losing their cool. But you just be calm because you're smarter. You're wiser. You're more emotionally intelligent. And you think that makes you a Christian. It does not. Any other religion does the same thing. Be good. Be nice. Be kind. That will make you a good person. Number three. Watch this one. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel Good about oneself. Most of us, let, let me explain, not, not even most, 99% of us make decisions based on happiness. 99%. You think it is, it is it, to be happy is to be godly. And I'm here to tell you, if you parent toward happiness, you will be wrong most of the time. If you, if you live your life for happy, you'll make the wrong decision most of the time. You don't make decisions to be happy. You make decisions to do what God says, whether they make you happy or not. Your job is to follow the way of Christ. That's why, men, you lead your families not toward happiness. You lead them toward godliness. 
Men, let me talk right into your face right now. That's why you don't wait for your wives to be happy because if mommy is not happy, nobody is happy. That's a lie from the pit of hell. She needs to be discipled into godliness. Preach, pastor! She needs to be discipled. And ladies, don't get mad at me. She needs to be discipled and love God more than her own happiness. Say it! I know you can't say nothing now because you're scared of her. Say it! <laughs> come on, come on, come on, come on. Next one, next one, come on, come on, come on. Uh, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. That's what most of us think. That's why you go through your day without praying. That's why you go through your day without reading the word for yourself. That's why you, do, you don't even have a closet where you go to spend time with God. Because you don't need God until you need a miracle, until you need a crisis, until your kid's acting a plum fool. Until your kid wants to change. All of a sudden, let's go to church. Why you want to go to church now? Now that they don't know who they are, you want to go to church? Why won't you go into church and practicing the discipline on a weekly basis? You just want to come when, he's in a, when you're in a crisis. Which means God is following you. Last one. Last one says this. It says, um, God, uh, good people go to heaven when they die. That nothing could be further from the truth. I know a lot of good people go into a Christless eternity. A lot of them. Because they believe the goal of life is to be happy and good. I'm telling you, most Christians believe all five of those and are living their lives out for it. And he's calling you not to let the culture influence it, but for you to decide, as for me and my house, we're going to practice the disciplines. We're not going to make the disciplines God. The disciplines facilitate an openness for me to long for the things of God and not the things of the world. Can I get a witness, man? All right, let's land the ship. Let's land this plane. Come on, we're done, we're done, we're done. You're looking at me crazy today. You'll be like, ain't no good illustration to say, say it! No. <laughs> practices of the intentional life. I'm done after this. Practices of the intentional life. There are four practices. What am I suggesting you do? Remember, we've gone through it in our whole series. We want to move from door number one, two, and three, and we want to get to door number five, four, five, six, and seven. All of this is in the back of your notes, by the way. If you want to know where we've been, just look in the back of your notes, the back page, and you'll see all of those, okay? And then lastly now, there are five ways to let go of control, listen, so that you can experience silence, solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, slowing down. There the five things you need to do to let go of control so you can experience it. Don't miss these. These are the precursors to silence. These are what you do before Sabbath. These are what you do before you go through the experience of solitude. Number one, relax. I'm just telling you. Number one, relax. Breathe deeply. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Don't just run there. Let me just be silent before God. No, no, no. First, you relax. Take some deep breaths. First, say to yourself, I want to relax into the goodness of God. I want to draw on the Spirit's peace. I want to decide my daily routine of relaxing. Number two, after you relax, 
then you must detach. You must detach from the culture mentally, emotionally, Detach. What does that mean? When you detach, it means, listen, you are, you're moving from surface level to the deepest level desire for union with God. It's where you're saying, I want the inner release of self-will. You're saying to God, God, not only do I need to relax, no, I need to detach from the things of the world. The things my heart longs for, I need to detach. Because if you don't detach, then God can't release his power, his presence, and his peace over your life. So you have to start with relaxing and then detaching. You've got to say no to some stuff. And by the way, when you start doing it, some stuff going to come to your mind. Have a little pen and paper. Write it down. Push it to the side. Another thought. Write it down. Ooh, I got to go wash some dishes. Write it down. Push it to the side. Ooh, I got to clean the car. Write it down. Push it. Ooh, the kids need it. Write it down. Push it. Because the enemy's job is to flood your brain to get you not to be silent before God. Because he does not want you to hear soul-level conversations. He wants you to stay on the surface so there's nothing deep about you so that your longings for the culture stays the same. That's what he wants. So number one is what, fam? Relax. Number two is what? Come on. Number one is what? Number two is? Number three is? Let's go to number three. Number three is, no, I want you to look. What are you looking for? You're looking to Christ. Now you begin to say, God, will your heart fill my heart? Now that you're relaxed, now that you start to detach, now you're asking him at a deeper level than you've ever been before. God, I don't want to think about a Netflix show. God, I don't want to think about porn. I don't want to think about the stock market. I don't want to think about my favorite sitcom. I don't want to think about any of that. I want to hear the heart of God. Here's why. Because what you, you become what you contemplate. So I want you to think and reflect on the goodness, the greatness, the vastness of your God. Nobody's going to tell you to do this. You're not going to see it on the, on the Today Show. You're going to see that on CNN. They're not going to tell you that. Number four is listen. Now that you have paused, now that you have detached, now that you've looked to God in prayer, now I want you to listen. What are you listening for? You're saying, God, I want you to have direct access to my mind. God, I want your direct access to speak over my deepest self. It's like, it's like Samuel when he said, speak, Lord. Your servant heareth. You want him to speak into you. But you gotta, you got to set that up by relaxing, by detaching, by looking. And now you're ready to listen at the deepest level of your heart. And then lastly, the fruit of all of that is now you get ready to love. To do what he says is the mark of every Christian. To love one another. Now you get to, in every scenario you go into, now you get to be, be, be anointed with the love of God. So all you have to give to others is the love of God. You don't get there without practice. So we're done. Here's how we're going to end service today. By practicing this. So you got two minutes. Two minutes to just practice. So no movement, no talking, not even to your spouse, just you and Jesus for two minutes. If I said five, it would kill you. So I'm not going to do five, just two. That's all. <laughs> That's all we can handle. It's two. Young God. What, what, what should you be doing here? Say, God, God, will you, will you speak to me at, at the deepest level ever? God, will you help me to detach from the stuff that wants to race back in my mind? God, will you show me the longings of my heart? Those longings that, that, that I want from the culture instead of from you, will you shift and change my longings, my loves, my affections so that they align with you? Let's go to prayer, Father.
You can do it 30 seconds. You can do it. Come to me, Jesus said. All who are weary and tired and heavy laden, burdensome, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, he said, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And then he says, and I will give you soul rest. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Heavenly Father, will you, will you guide this body of believers towards soul rest? Will you help us to take off the yoke of our culture and put on the form-fitted yoke of Jesus Christ, the way, the lifestyle of Jesus. Will that be a new paradigm for us today? Will you help us to practice? We know that cannot be done unless we practice. Unless we practice the disciplines of silence, the disciplines of solitude, the disciplines of Sabbath, the disciplines of simplicity, the disciplines of time in the word, the discipline of worship. Will that be the norm that, that when anybody looks at our calendar, Every single day, there'll be a time when we're practicing. We're not going to be this mature giant of the faith tomorrow. But if we just put in the work every day, we will look a little more like you every single day. Lead us. Guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. come on, give God a round of applause, friend. Come on.